This is a Strategist, episode 1018. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. What was going on yesterday? What did you guys do? Some backbiting? Some casual uh, discussion of my family? What, what was this? It was very, like, yeah. very mob-like uh, publicly airing you know out grievances against um, uh, what I believe, and I think this is a, the, 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 the legal term, the first family. Yeah, I got to tell is, you. Which I believe, which I belong to. Yeah. Yes, just I to have, let you know. I have only one regret. Yeah, well, only which one is regret, which is <clears throat> about the entire episode. It's when we talked about how your mother-in-law wasn't going to invite us to your second wedding. I sort of failed to realize that she wouldn't be at your second wedding. Oh, a little embarrassing for us. That is a little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I see that the problem would be. Yeah, yeah. we made a mistake there. Yeah, uh, the problem would be you. Um, if there's anything that uh, requires a second marriage it's our recording schedule which uh, if you take the last two days it is every single day uh that is that is what we well, gotta put on. in is, the time yeah to make a marriage or a podcast did you it. not see how many new people came in like how many people came in on our little uh our our little you know uh what's it called patreon that's it hundreds of people yeah, use, signed your words. Up use your words carter you can use your words hundreds no one's stopping came. you hundreds of people came and joined uh, and joined and, up for the Patreon. W- they got some excellent technical analysis of they the Sovereignty Act. They got some unbelievable did they ever. analysis. D- did, did you oh, listen? Did they ever? You should have uh, No, I did us. not. No, no. But but those who did told me that it was something and it exists. So I'm glad. What is this? I'm glad this you guys reached This was the best feedback just, we've ever had on a, on a Hogan and Carter. Ever. Yeah, well, listen. low bar, but yeah. Okay. Well, okay. you're here now, Zane, so put us back let's on move. the rails. Yeah, let's move back well, let's, forward. Let's you know this. what? We, we're not going to move on from, from the topic. We're certainly going to move on from that uh, episode. Let's move on to our first segment. Oh, our first perfect. segment, Gaslight from our Landlocked Resources. That is right, Stephen Carter. We need fertilizer. We need guns. We need our resources. Oh, and maybe child care health care, other sorts of care that are federally funded might find themselves un- under provincial jurisdiction. Let's talk about the Sovereignty Act within a United Canada Act. I'm going to say Act everywhere. Yeah, okay. Stephen Carter, you guys gave a excellent Patreon yesterday. I'm, I'm just pulling your leg. You, you guys walked oh, thank through... You. Thank you, Zane. Corey, I loved your interpretation of what it, why you read it charitably or why you tried to read it charitably, what the impetus to do so would be. Um what your some some of your scenario planning if i can call it that or hypothetical scenario planning which i guess could be another name for this act um was in some ways in terms of how it could be applied but today i want to talk about the politics of it carter and i want to start yeah. here because the segment title i used was landlocked um resources but gaslighting stephen carter yeah. is this proposed sovereignty act i'll let people catch up in terms of the guts of it i'll let people catch up in terms of the patreon the technical analysis we won't get into that is this what was supposed to be Daniel Smith's mainstreaming of the Sovereignty Act, sanding down, perhaps even moving away from saying it's not a big deal? What political strategy do you think she is running? Because she seems to be running one of them, because today she came up with 15 second ads that they're running on digital that are about the Sovereignty Act and defending it even further. So whatever happened yesterday, whatever's going to happen a week from now, at least from whatever's in Daniel Smith's control, what we know is that it was deliberate. So, Carter, talk to me about what the political strategy here was in your mind now that you've had some soak time with it. Well, I think the political strategy was that she wanted to keep her promise. And 
Um, you know, the, the Corey and I talked a little bit yesterday about how the watering down of this that we were expecting that we had anticipated when we talked about this last week was that including, was, including even the name of it, by the way, including even the, the name of it as being part of that watering down. But I think that the name was the only watering down she did. At the end of the day, the mm. name changed and everything else remained the same because it was it was not this kind of walk back of the of the Sovereignty Act that we necessarily had expected or certainly we kind of teased that she would probably do because that was in her her long term best interest. Instead, she moved it into the realm of uh, kind of are you kidding me? Like this is this is now Danielle Smith doubling down on an act that uh, I'm not sure Albertans wanted. Um, and I'm not sure Albertans understand uh, the impl- implication. And she's given the NDP and the media all kinds of runway to define this act uh, in ways that her and her minister, uh, Tyler Shandro, couldn't, uh, couldn't actually do yesterday. They certainly couldn't define it. So um, the media have, been, have had a field day uh, today defining it. And that's what Danielle Smith is pushing back against. Uh, of course, Corey, before I come to you, this, this segment is brought to us by our sponsor, Fair Airlines. Fair Airlines, the name has changed, but everything else remains the same. Um, Corey, <laughs> get it? Because they're, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Really good. I don't mind that. I want, because... okay, if, there's anyone, if there's anyone who wants to build a collection of all of them, I will be taking that in as our year-end episode, yeah. which is all of our slogans together. It actually might be, be a formal pitch package to yeah. to Flair Airlines to finally officially become our sponsor. Someone Corey, does that, I'm afraid giving 5% of the value. Out of your share, Zane. No, 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 Carter. That's not how this works. <laughs> okay. Corey, talk to me about this. You've had some soak time with it. Yeah. Talk to me about, like, you see this. You see how Shandro talks about it. You see how Smith talks about it. You've been in these rooms where these conversations happen. Both of you have. Do you see some strategy here? Like, now that you've slept on it a bit, wh- where do you think the through line here is? Because... They've doubled down on it today with these ads that say something like, you know, the Trudeau-Notley alliance. They talk about that. Then they talk about Rachel Notley says this is un-Canadian. They're like, no. What this actually is is the most – I'm paraphrasing – the most Canadian thing because it, it, it allows us to defend ourselves against Ottawa. Do you think that message is lost? Do you think that's just the full, full strategy? Like tease it out for me. Like pick it out from, from amongst yesterday and the ashes of yesterday – Pick up, pick out what the strategy is, because that's what I want to want to really focus in on, and then talk more about um, if there's any strategic course in terms of how loud and perhaps over the top they've been with with this proposed legislation. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the movie Dave, and yeah. you know the scene where they're just about to go in and kill that guy, but they're yeah. they're early, so they walk the halls, and yes. they're talking about how Marcellus throws Antoine off a building. Right. Yeah. He says that's quite an overreaction for touching touching a woman's foot. Yeah. He says, well, you may not have expected that reaction, but you should have expected a reaction. And to me, what I don't understand is they seem legitimately stunned that people have not embraced this with open arms, but instead mm. have have absolutely shit all over it. I mean, I, I think you would be very hard pressed to find even a friendly columnist who is saying that this is a good bill. You have you have right wing columnists, left, right, and center, saying this is not a good bill uh, for a variety of reasons, and even um, going as far as saying in some cases, not to interrupt you, but saying this is not what we conservatives do. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, 
and and I I got the sense both from quite a chipper or chippy, I guess I mean, uh, news conference yeah. uh, plus the reaction today and and some of the shade that was thrown even on social media about this today by the premier and the people around the premier. They didn't expect this reaction, but mm. I don't know what reaction they expected. Every time the Sovereignty Act has come up in the past nine months, yep. people have reacted negatively to it. People have reacted very negatively to it. And yet the negative reaction seems to have caught them off guard. And they are doing they were doing cleanup yesterday the minute they announced this bill. And that to me is truly stunning. So to your question, Zane, like what was the strategy here? I think somewhere along the way, this became a box checking exercise. And I can sort of imagine the conversation where it's like, no, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And one of the things I wouldn't mind unpacking along the way here is so often um, when you like this happens in all sorts of environments, sometimes you are trying to argue. Let's just imagine, for example, you're at you're at work and you're trying to argue to your boss that they should. you know, they should take a strategy where they're going out and they're promoting your company to the world. And you're spending like three months trying to convince people of the logic of this. Yep, yep, yep. And then yep. you go and you go to the world and the world says, we actually don't want to hear from you right now, mm-hmm. right? But you've spent all of that energy trying to make the argument the other way. You've kind of forgotten about the other front. And and this to me sort of smacks of this. I think that Danielle Smith was so busy trying to figure out how she could do it that she failed to think about the audiences and whether they would actually like it when it was all said and done. And and I, she just got too tied up in the process itself. And what I want to talk about at some point is I, I don't think like what everybody immediately latched onto was the power she gave cabinet. Yeah. I have a feeling they were never the point. And I said this yesterday, I think she's going to back down on those eventually. I, I, pause on that point. Let's expand on the one you just talked about around the box, box checking exercise. Stephen Carter um, Steve, Corey and I have worked with you professionally. Um, you have a couple of superpowers professionally. We know that. One yeah. of which is to sell things yeah. and then have Corey and I try to implement said things. We've talked about this on the show <laughs> yeah. multiple times. You're welcome, by the way. And and and, I, and um, no, uh, no, no not accepted. <laughs> not accepted because Stephen Carter, like like some politicians, you've often sold things that are either impossible to implement, either both impossible or very expensive to implement, uh-huh. or um, all of the above. And, and in, in this case, Carter, what do you think is going on? Like, talk to me about this concept of a box checking exercise, where in politics, I think people might be surprised that there are certain moments where strategy is secondary. That just based on the HR, the people dynamics, the, the 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 sheer sort of momentum, that strategy actually has to be parked. That it actually can't be the compass that makes the decisions. That there are things like box checking exercises, or we just have to do something to 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 show that we're moving in in a direction. Talk to me about. Do you see the sovereignty act as it was presented yesterday? If it wasn't strategy that either of you could pluck out and say, "Here's the through line. Here's what I see." Was this a, a, a political box checking exercise? And expand on that. Have you, when you were chief of staff to the premier, had to do any of these in the in the past yourself? Well, I mean, I think that you make certain promises that you have to really take um, really take into consideration. And one of those promises is 
you know, you know, sometimes the promises you can walk away from or you can modify them as you go along. The one that jumps into my mind is we did a healthcare inquiry or uh, queue jumping inquiry when uh, Alison Redford was elected. And we'd promised that it was going to be super in-depth, super insightful, and, and we were going to get to the bottom of everything. Um, one thing leads to another. We weren't able to do a super in-depth piece. And instead, we just had to check the box and say that we actually did it. So we mm. created an inquiry that, that was narrow in scope, that was able to give us the outcome that we uh, wanted um, and and pissed a few people off. But at the same time, it, it it was an absolute requirement. We had to say that we did this thing. We did it and we uh, and we and we walked away from from the potential problem. Um, in that case, it was if we went too far it would create internal problems. So we, we pulled back. In this case, um, I think that Danielle's done the opposite, where she's uh, probably gotten advice that she should have pulled back, um, and she's decided instead to to kind of double down and, and check. You know, I, I'm not really sure I want to use the language of checking the box, but she she's, she's solved this problem by saying, I'm going to do it. And I, I've promised this. This is the action I said I was going to take, and I'm actually going to take this action. And sometimes I just think that that's that's not the the best move um, that you should be making uh, all the time. You 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 don't necessarily actually want to keep your promises a hundred percent of the time. So Corey, here's here's the struggle I have by 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 putting this in the category of a box checking exercise, which is that they released it with the with the fervor and the ad spend and the messaging sort of prowess as if it were a strategic signature policy piece like what maybe either give me your theory of what happened or bridge that gap for me between how this could have become a box checking exercise but also selling it as aggressively because you'd expect a box checking exercise even if it was your signature piece of policy you found ways to downgrade it you found ways to take the teeth out of it you'd kind of shove it under the rug you can do various things with timing cadence etc even the policy itself which you guys talked about extensively yesterday but then they release it the way they did. Like, bridge that gap for me. No problem. Here's my theory. <laughs> that, that, wait, I want to play that no problem back. That, yeah, that level was of confidence. That was just, so and he's good. just... I've just got... Here's what we call inflating expectations for what's about yeah. to be said. Please go Don't ahead. Don't manage your expectations. I will tell you, with having no benefit of actually knowing what happened, exactly what happened. Oh, excellent. <laughs> right? Of course excellent. you will. Of course you will. So Danielle Smith was sitting there with her advisors. She's already committed that Bill 1 is going to be the Sovereignty Act. And she says, we need a Sovereignty Act. And I got to look like I mean it. I can't be weak. I can't be weak. But I've heard all of these people out there. And they've said this would be very damaging. So we've got to find a way that's more than preamble, you know, an act that sounds tough, but I don't really want to do anything right now. That would be really dangerous. So we need a way to sound tough without committing to an act. And we need to be able to say we mean it and that this is a really tough act. But remember, I don't want to do anything right now. So the challenge I give you is we don't want to do anything right now, but this has got to sound really, really tough. It has to be real. It can't just be a bunch of preamble. It can't be that thing Corey Hogan was talking about two weeks ago where you just make a fake bill one that's yeah. about statements of purpose. So somebody has this brainwave. We'll just make it really easy to do it in the future. Bill one will be all about our ability to react very quickly. You know, it's like cocking a gun, uh, but it's not the pulling of the trigger. So we're going to find a way that we can very rapidly yeah. take those fucking feds to task without. But we're not going to do it. 
So people will be happy because we're not actually going to do it. And then, and then they started to fret, but we're not actually doing anything. And my base is going to be angry. So to your question, Zane, they decided to try to oversell the toughness of it because they thought it wasn't enough with that particular audience. But they were worried about the right wing audience, which was ironically, the wrong wing of the audience to worry about there. They didn't check it against their other audiences. They didn't think about how people who cared about procedure would care about it. They didn't think about how mainstream conservatives in downtown Calgary would think about it. And they sure as hell didn't think about how the rest of Alberta would think about it. They failed to understand the challenge that was in front of them. I would bet a lot of money that's what happened. Carter, react to that. You've been in these sort of rooms. You've been in sort of these decision-making frameworks. And sometimes that that concept of a decision-making framework is, is too generous. You've been in these decision-making tornadoes where someone is tasked with an impossible task of trying to both yeah. communicate something, do something, perform something. What do you, you I, I heard you interrupt, Corey, or, or kind of comments just being like, oh, yeah. Was that an oh, yeah of agreement? I could see that happening. I've been there. Talk to me about what, what you heard from Corey there and, and how you uh, feel like how plausible you feel like something like that could be. Well, I think that that's entirely plausible. I think that, um, you know, this idea of cocking the gun and, and making sure that it's available, um, you know, th- that very easily could have been the methodology by which they created this act. Uh I, I obviously uh, I was less there than than Corey was. I mean, Corey wasn't there at all, and I was way outside of him. So I, we don't know exactly how this <laughs> actually unfolded. But can, but can can but I ask? It does seem entirely plausible. Corey, this ask. cocking of the gun and and not pulling the trigger, right? Let's just yeah. use that analogy you've said. Is that a concession or is that strategy? it's both Mm. Uh, anything you do ultimately can be wrapped up the sum of your actions is strategy it wasn't an intentional strategy is a bit of a different question uh i really think that she thought she needed to look tough uh but not actually enact the things that the alberta sodomy act version 1.0 threatened because when you get right down to it like i've 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 mulled over this for the last 24 hours when you get right down to it you it doesn't really? fucking do anything. <laughs> right, 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 right. Until they decide to do something else. It's a tough statement of principles. It gives them kind of the ability to move quickly. But anything that they might have envisioned doing under there, they could have done anyhow uh, through the legislature, through the legislative process. Um, and so this is a way that they tried to make nothing look like something, but accidentally in the process made something truly awful uh, and and really contrary to our parliamentary tradition. So I would bet they back away from this because I don't think they actually care about these powers. I think these powers were a gambit to try to look tough. And I think they miscalculated badly. Carter, uh, uh, two things for you. Number one, I was disappointed you didn't jump on how great fair airlines would be for a airline uh, company based out of Alberta post-sovereignty no, like as a fair, uh, uh, air, you know, airline uh, no, within the United like Canada. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I, I could have used more from you there. Secondly, right. Stephen Carter, let's talk about, let's talk about what Corey mentioned earlier. This potential uh, walking back of the extraordinary powers for cabinet. Could that have been designed on purpose? That if we put that in there, get called out for it, then reverse course, the rest of the package looks like we took a step back and we could still get our thing done. Or uh, do you think it was a no. fundamental misstep? Uh, I know he, your question was to Carter. No. Yeah, hang on. on. What's happening here? Hey, hey. now I'm that just, undermines my no. 
No, I have to say yes. <laughs> I don't want to say yes, but I have to because you took the no side. No, I say yes. Tell us, tell us why you say I yes. I didn't want to have to say yes. There's no time. There's there's no time to do that. This is hastily written, hastily created wait, legislation. Wait, do you mean no, 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 no. There's, what do you mean there's no time to do that? I'm asking you, was it done on purpose so no. that when they reverse course, it takes... Okay, so explain to me steps, what, why you're... No, why. Too many steps on their chessboard. You know, these guys don't, they just simply not, can't look that that far down the chessboard. They don't see that many moves and they're not writing their their legislation to back away from it. Uh, I'm certain that this was crafted. I mean, maybe the person who crafted it is ahead of their, their political masters. Uh, I could see that happening. But uh, given the way that Chandro answered the questions and Smith uh, answered the questions, they don't know enough about this act at this particular time to have that many moves uh, lined up on their chessboard. They are barely hanging on at this stage. Um, and and really, in, in I think really one of the most embarrassing fashions, right? We ran some stuff through quickly in, in 2011, 2012, uh, but we were way more ahead than where they are at this particular moment. Corey, you know, you gave that um, network style speech uh a second ago about uh, the premier in the premier's office demanding to her, you know, her, her crew or decision makers being, this is what I need. Right. Do you remember the guts of what you were saying there? Like, I yeah. need to look, uh, can you, can you, can you highlight that for us? So what, what, what I, do you think, what were her criteria again? Highlight that for us one more time. Cause I have a question be, on. Can't just be preamble has to okay. seem real. Okay. Mm-hmm. has to sound tough. It's gotta yeah. look like we mean it, but I'm worried because we're not actually taking any action right now that, the the right wing group that put me into this is going to feel like it's not sufficient. So got to find me a way to sound tough. If you were Corey Hogan, one of the uh, two leading sovereignty act wizards in the world brought into the Republic of Alberta to help answer that question, how would you have answered that question for her? You saw if, if that is what you speculate happened behind closed doors that led to the legislation that you guys spent an hour plus on yesterday, that that the entire political media and, and opposing parties and the con that carried the conversation, carried the national political conversation today. Right. How would you have responded to the premier with your framework of a sovereignty act if those things you just said in your preamble that were demanded by the premier, uh, if you were one of these wizards of creating sovereignty acts, Corey? What would you have put in the guts of it? Ooh. That is an amazing question. Right. I don't have a ready answer for that. Well, can I mean, we work on it together? Let's work on it together. I don't. I don't know if I want to do this project, but like, fuck it, let's try. And yeah, Carter, yeah, if you didn't, if you didn't figure it out, uh, you're the other wizard in, the, yeah, in no, this I, in this Q and A. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you figured it out. You were going to be the second one. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm There's like, a big gap between first and second. It's like you know, every year Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. But <laughs> can I just say, first of all, <laughs> yeah. That's really hurtful. And secondly, um, you know, comparing me to two people well past their prime, very upsetting. Anyways. uh, You think Russell Wilson's past his prime? I don't know about that. I believe everybody who follows the Broncos thinks that he's past his His entire defense is yelling at him, Corey, on the sidelines. It's not (laughs) not looking good for him. him. Um, There's my one fact, by the way. you're asking, you know, let- your greatest strength in this, Zane, is to ask us to to put ourselves in positions that Corey and I have never thought to put ourselves in. And most of the time, I think we're relatively flexible and capable of putting ourselves into some some really tricky binds. But a sovereignty act is not something that people generally write. 
There aren't many course, people that's, who, that's the point. who stand apart as a sovereignty act expert. And so when you're asking us to to try and think of how this particular one would be, be put together, I mean, one could imagine the way that Saskatchewan yep. was put together, you know, this kind of Saskatchewan first type of thing without triggering any specific, um, you know, backlash. I mean, I think that Scott Moe's legislation didn't go nearly as far. Um, but if you want to do the things that she actually wants to do, you can't do that within the Constitution. That's why it was called the Sovereignty Act. So many times, the language of the title gives us the opportunity to slide backwards. I don't think that this one does. I think that if I were being asked to come in and advise her on how to do this, I'd say you can't just appear to go hard. You actually have to go hard. That's the only way that this legislation works for you well, politically. Well, well, don't, but don't you think that's exactly what they did? So, Carter, isn't that what yesterday was? Yeah, like, you know, I'm not it's... supportive of this thing. I'm clearly on the other side of the equation. But if that is your strategic answer, you got to go hard, Premier. Like, yeah. in in their defense, isn't that what yesterday was? Yeah, but it's still tragic. Doesn't doesn't yeah. change the yeah. outcome. Doesn't change. Doesn't make it a better piece of legislation. The fact that and it's listen, a shitty I'm not piece of legislation. I'm not trying to sand down the outcome. I'm I, I'm trying to get into the strategy question. You're so, uh, killing me. I'm not trying to kill you. I, this is Corey, just you, like you what happened with Mad when Mad when Mothers Against Drunk Driving <laughs> came into my office. <laughs> he's just, just self owning himself just to give himself an. This is just so <laughs> evident. Oh my goodness, he's just like he's just he's like oh. taking all the sharp elbows. He just. Yep. It's like the guy self-flagellating because he knows it's over for him. <laughs> I Corey. did that just for Corey. That was for you, Corey. Yeah, I know. I understand. I Logan, liked it. Um, Thank you. You you gave the statement of what the premier wanted. How would you start to respond to this? Okay. We do these thought exercises because they're oh, fun and they're an interesting. And, and they're, no, it's impossible. Well, there's alternative realities here that I think oh. could be quite fascinating to understand from, from the two of you. Yeah, so SAS, the SASC First Act is the model of the safe play. Right. There's, mm -hmm. there's safety in the herd. You just say, I'm doing that, too. And now, look, we're United West against uh, against the Ottawa elite who are trying to you know trample us down. But we're not going to stand for that. We're going to stand yeah. together on this. Now, if you wanted to go a little bit further, it, well, a lot further, can I suggest a version of the bill? A version with with triggers where instead of saying we're going to work it all out through cabinet later, which is what they ended up with, they say, the Alberta Sovereignty Act says we want Canada to work, but we know that uh, Canada requires us as much as we require Canada or, or some bullshit like that. And so here's what we are almost pre-authorizing as a legislature. Hmm. Creation of an Alberta police force, the creation of an Alberta pension, the creation of uh, you know Alberta income tax collection. And actually go in the order of like, she wants all of these things, but go in the order that you think is like most palatable to Alberta and almost make them escalation points. Like, so we are putting the government on notice. If they do not agree to a new equalization formula or to have, you know, a, a constitutional convention about a new equalization formula by summer of 2023, we're doing the police force thing. Boom. Triggered. It's going to happen. If by December we're not at point B, we're going to do the pension thing. And in that way, you continue to tie it to the need for federal action and make it look less like you're taking a flyer and more like you're creating urgent action. But you've also created a situation where it's going to happen anyways, because the feds can't give you what you've demanded here. Uh, and so that's probably what I would have done 
if I was the kind of person who was trying to create Alberta Sovereignty Act stuff. Uh, because what it is right now, I think, is um, well, we've seen how let it's me, played out. Let me tell you why I think. She's yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go, go ahead, Russell Wilson. Yeah, uh, ouch. Um, I think she stayed away Ooh. from that because the the challenge that comes with actually articulating what they want to change is that ninety percent of Albertans don't want to change the things that they want to change, right? Only her. Well, I should say maybe eighty percent. Uh, because only her 20 percent that that have put her into this place um, actually think about the equalization stuff actually are thinking about um you know the 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 child care elements or the income tax or the policing services or those types of things most people they don't want to actually articulate what these what the problems are with Ottawa uh, and this is actually something I saw today just you know I just been inundated on Twitter by right-wing Twitter. Right-wing Twitter has come after me today. And I'll tell you, they're not, a great, they're not a group of great thinkers, Corey. Not one of them could put together a couple of examples that, that showed why Ottawa was screwing Alberta. Instead, they just, they just want to be able to say, Ottawa is screwing Alberta. It's Ottawa's fault. It's Trudeau's fault. Fuck Trudeau. And that is what, that's what she's actually aiming for. She's not aiming for action. She's not aiming for the outcome because the outcome is it's lost in the little minds of these people who think that they've been somehow unjustly targeted um, by a federal government that exists within a world system. Oil and gas has gone down because oil and gas has gone down around the world. It has gone back up because oil and gas has gone up. I mean, Justin Trudeau can't be simultaneously screwing Alberta and enabling the largest surpluses we've ever seen in our history. That, that that can't be at the exact same time uh that that situation it's just impossible to imagine but these people don't use logic they're not logical actors so she can't list she cannot list all of those things uh that you just did because the gen pop will lose their mind Corey, respond here and then i want to talk yeah. about distinct audiences that that and how they should respond to this yeah well so let me make the pitch and i do want to stress i do not think these are good ideas you asked us to be able to sell the Sovereignty Act. I right? sure did. Or at least give it the best possible chance. And the Zane's best possible chance does not even mean a winning chance all of the time. Good point. Right? Because there is a fundamental opposition to the things that she is proposing in Alberta. But, but we do know a few things. One, we know that Albertans are deeply uh, confused about equalization. And that has been manipulated time and time again yeah. by politicians in this province. We actually have one of the very few pieces of like, um, I guess I could say legitimacy for this in the fact that we held a referendum on the equalization, the requirement to like have a constitutional discussion about equalization. Many more people voted than ever voted for Danielle Smith. That's her attempt at getting legitimacy. And if she says Albertans voted for it, Albertans, by the way, by polls it, it, and voted for it. Albertans, by the way, uh, you know, by polls do want a change to equalization. And we say, if there are not changes to equalization, we do these things. And the box she then puts her opponents in is Rachel Notley is saying, how dare you? And she's saying, what, you don't want changes to equalization? She's totally changed the conversation from one about Alberta police and about Alberta pensions to one about you. what you, you don't think that we should change equalization. That is very difficult, and that's uh, that's difficult for Rachel Notley, and that's firmer ground for Danielle Smith, right? 
The second mm. thing is uh, it, it, it has that same effect on the population as a whole. All, all of a sudden, they're not so much voting for an Alberta police force, which they don't like. They are they are voting for or they're supporting right. equalization changes, which they do like. And, and so it changes the conversation in ways that I think are ultimately advantageous, which is not to say that they are right. net supported by the province, but they it moves her to more firm ground because we know from poll after poll after poll, the things that she's actually got in mind, the things she's actually proposing are deeply unpopular. The popular things are the things she can't possibly deliver on, changes yeah. to equalization. So why not use that to your advantage? Why not use that to your advantage? Carter, why don't you think she she and, and and her government didn't go down the path Corey's suggesting here? Well, I'm just grateful that they're not as smart as Corey. Um, Corey's idea is fucking great. If they'd done that, I think that we'd have a real problem. I'm effectively instead. saying use equalization as the tip of the spear, right? Yeah. It is the most uh, – you know it's popular. You've had a, a – was it a referendum on it? Um, yeah. You've seen some evidence, at least in a massive way, probably it's the best It's the only thing you have legitimacy on too because there was that referendum. Yeah, and That's none an of the other point. pieces have gone to referendum, right? Like the – All right. the other stuff's been yeah. behind closed – you know, a, a discussion of intellectuals of some sort. Carter, I don't want to just talk about the action. I want to talk about the reaction. Talk to me oh, about good. an audience that I think sometimes gets doesn't get enough play. We talk about opposition parties. Talk to me about the real interesting position business audiences are in. And I reflect on Debbie Edlin at the Calgary Chamber and her response being yeah. quite assertive, saying the Sovereignty Act is not the answer, folks. I'm paraphrasing her just to be clear, right? That this is not the answer towards investment, incubating new talent, bringing... Uh, and attracting companies here in that general spirit. Do you think something like this, where it is being pummeled by all sides, gives stakeholders like business and others that generally are extremely cautious about how and where they wait in to have an opportunity like they haven't before with, with should I say, minimal risk or de-risk? Like, talk to me about how these risk profiles are calculated, especially so close to 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 an election, for for institutions that 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 speak um, for 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 larger swaths of uh, of the economy, I am certain that Deb Yedlin's telephone line has been burned up after she made that statement on behalf of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. I think first of all, she's absolutely right. This is not a way to build business. I think that um, anything that even smells a little bit like we're going down the path of uh, of uh, separation, uh, you know despite language to the contrary, anything that moves us in that direction is going to be seen as a, a negative uh, indication from business. And Deb said that, but I'm quite certain that the cautious business folks in Alberta, in, in Alberta picked up the telephone and called Deb and said, this isn't the way we do it, Deb. This isn't the way we do it. And I know that because I'm sometimes vocal of the government of the day, and I get telephone calls when I'm vocal. Uh, in opposition to the government. So I'm quite certain that this is not some sort of big push. I think that this is uh, Deb Yedlin, who is, uh, you know, uh, I think a very smart woman who has got the chamber actually taking intelligent positions. But I'm not sure that this is necessarily the larger business community. Um, you know, we didn't see, you know, the stampede board take a stand against this. We didn't see CAP take a stand. We didn't see, you know, the, some of our larger business organizations didn't take a position on it. And um, I'm sure that 
that will be seen. Uh, you know, people will will wind up siding on the side of don't take a stand because we're Calgarians and ultimately we work with our government. We don't try and oppose it unless it's the NDP. Then we fuck them over. There's a cultural piece here. There's a strategy piece here. There's a risk piece here. There's yeah. a timeline piece here. So close to an election. Corey, there's a there's a soup that, that this is these ingredients are kind of making. Walk mm-hmm. me through it in terms of how you, you are thinking about the, at least the political risk aspect for an organization or an institution to speak up against something that uh, clearly is getting panned by, by, by media and, and other stakeholders. Yeah, I, I think Kathleen Petty was tweeting today about the hundreds of organizations that she implied CBC had reached out to who are all assessing it, right? They're all just reading it. They're, they're yeah. assessing what it would mean. It's not, not a, a very big long act. They're, they're, do, they're, they're, they're doing their research. <laughs> Corey, they're, yeah. they're, doing, they're doing their research. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to cast – I'm not going to throw stones. I, I, I absolutely understand uh, why organizations would take that approach. I mean, for starters, if we want to be fair – we, you know, none of us know what this actually means. We have the bill, but we don't know how it's in, intended to be used. And we don't know if this is how it's going to come well, out, given on, given the ride it's been in, on. In so. Deb's fairness, in the chamber's fairness, in fact, that whole concept of murkiness and unpredictability was one of the sort of core points, right? It is yeah. that this is this unpredictability of how it will be used, what it means, all that sort of stuff is actually part of the point. Well, and some of that, you know, there's an amazing irony here. Uh, which is some of that unpredictability, some of these challenges with the bill can be corrected through the mm. legislative process, which is why we use the fucking legislative process and don't <laughs> let cabinet in the dark rewrite bills, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, talk about a case study that proves itself here. This is just crazy. But, uh, you know, the chamber's not wrong. I, one of the things that I often get into debates about when we talk about this issue in particular and this environment that we seem to be actively fostering in Alberta to be just as wild card as possible is low taxes aren't everything. I've said it before. I'll Mm. say it again. Taxes were lower in Quebec, corporate taxes, when all of those companies went to Ontario, right? Because low taxes are not everything, but it's not just Quebec and Ontario. Think about uh, a bunch of countries that are, you know, struggling, barely democracies, not democracies, Guess what? They have amazing tax rates by oh, yeah. and large. Really great corporate tax rates. You can make a real killing there. Um, but it might all be taken away from you. Uh, it might all blow up in your face. So it's less like investing and more like gambling. And the point I really want to underline here is stability really matters. I had a finance professor and he had a saying which was both very corny but also very catchy, which is growth is good and risk is rotten. And generally, in any financing decision, you're going to look for things with the lowest risk profile. We are increasing the risk profile of this province. And on spreadsheets globally, we are becoming a worse investment. So, I, you know, I do think it's the place of chambers of commerce to talk about these things. Sometimes that very narrow view of chambers can be absurdly frustrating, right? Yeah. But here we are seeing seeing something that that is pointing out a... Uh, like a, a very serious challenge with uh, with the particular approach that we are taking as a province right now, and it's not just a Danielle Smith approach, right? No, absolutely the worst worst implementation of it. You know, Jason Kenney did similar things. Rachel Notley did things like, again, nowhere near the extremes. I'm not trying to create an equivalency here, but you know, you talk about the no more uh, pipelines uh, or turn off the tap legislation. What the hell was that? Like, that's not uh, a particularly stable environment either. Uh, And we've been walking this path for a generation in the province, and it's time to step off of it. 
Carter, I'm going to give you three doors to pick, okay? Yep. These are three doors that each have a viable, perhaps even potent, messaging arc to take what we've experienced over the course of the last 24 hours and run with. You, you, you can eventually combine them, but I want you to choose a door first and tell me which door, if you're advising opposing parties, other stakeholders that want to... Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, Corey, one, which door? One for me. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Let's move on. Corey, <laughs> behind... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll stick with Carter. I'll, I'll give him some slack. Carter, behind door number one yeah. is, de- is, is democracy. Yeah. Behind door number two is anti-business. And behind door number three is the brand of Alberta. Which is the most potent message from this Sovereignty Act that you would run with if around... If, if you're, you're opposing an opposing the Sovereignty Act? If you're opposing the Sovereignty Act, if your goal is to um, rile up folks against it, between democracy at its core, which we've seen proof points of in a diff- slightly different way in the United States as being a core message of their election, between anti-business, and this is kind of anti-business, anti-economy, and then then between this risk profile thing, which Corey kind of brought up as, as that third door around the brand of this place, the risk profile of this place, the the viability of this place, the the magnetizing sense of this place. What door are you picking, Carter? I was right and the why? first time. Tell me why. Door, door number two, because uh, anti-business is actually really powerful. I mean, keep in mind that uh, we talked after the federal uh, the U.S. elections about show don't tell, and I think that the anti-business pieces of this will will become very apparent as the as as time wears on. Um, whereas I think that democracy it's it's very fleeting, and again, um, the the feedback I'm getting the feedback I'm getting is that a lot of people think that the anti democratic party here is actually the um the 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 trudeau uh singh alliance that trudeau singh yeah. alliance is the the reason why we have to be anti democratic and that is guiding um their opposition to this so or their their support of the Danielle Smith piece. So my view would be take the anti-business piece, run with that because Albertans understand business. We think we understand business and that will have a bunch of resonance. Um, uh, then that's where I would go. Now, Corey has chosen, of course, door number one, which is the democracy door. So I'm interested to hear how he thinks that will work. <laughs> yeah, Corey, uh, the democracy. Now, listen, I, I granted different stakeholders have different outcomes. But but from your perspective, as it relates to just as you see these messages, and we're seeing versions of these present themselves, right, over the course of the last 24 hours, Corey, what, what's the most intriguing or potent one to you? I guess it is actually door number three. But I'm wondering if there's not a door number four that's not been articulated well, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Ooh, what is it? Four doors. Is that that this is this is all just uh you know broken it's outside the mainstream it's the opposite of what daniel smith's key message was in um in uh in the throne speech the pre-throne speech speech right yeah. the the mm-hmm. televised address if she's trying to seem moderate and mainstream these actions are not i mean you can point to these are powers that you know do it's not about democracy it's about the irregularity of it i guess is what i would underline right it's these are powers that we don't have because doing it this way leads to super bad outcomes. One of the things that I also think is evidence that um, 
that this was not a planned, like floated out there and retracted and look reasonable mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is is simply just uh, that. You know, like Carter talked a lot about how they wouldn't have acted the way they did. They wouldn't have been confused by their own policy. They wouldn't have had to clarify it today. They wouldn't have had to salvage it. But also, they wouldn't have created such an easy out for the NDP. I, I, the NDP was never going to support the Alberta Sovereignty Act. They they were firm on that from day one. But there are there are versions of an Alberta Sovereignty Act that make that a, a not entirely comfortable position for the NDP. Yeah. But by creating kind of like what the Saskatchewan party did in Saskatchewan. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Where <laughs> yeah. this, I believe this is Sask NDP voted for. They the did. Sask. They did. Yeah. They did vote for it. Crazy yeah. stuff. Um, but instead, by creating this new superpower for cabinet that allows you to supersede the elected officials in the legislature, it's such an out. Right. Uh, and it's so outside the mainstream. It's so irregular. It allows them to say, I, we're, you know, there's no way we could support this. And and I think that irregularity of it all is door number four. Like, what are we doing here? Like this I is think, this is all a little while. And maybe that's your door three. Maybe that's the brand no, thing. But mm-hmm. I but actually I think, think it's door number more to one. It. I think you were right the first time, Corey. I think that it's actually Shit. the way you're you're going to change my mind. Should have yeah. doubled down. I'm a little disappointed because we've talked about this before. And if you just stuck <laughs> to if you just stuck to door number one and then define democracy in the way that you're defining it. Um, defining the problems, I think you would have found that you were right on it because that is at its core, I think, what's wrong with the democratic principles of this, you know, and um, it is outside the mainstream. It is something that we've never seen before. And we should be afraid of this novel idea, which you've told us how many times, you know, beware the novel idea. And this is the most novel idea I think that we've seen in in our like i'm trying to think like i'm thinking back to klein's was it klein built 13 that developed all those you know it was the privatization of healthcare and it had all those big protests against it like what were the most built, contentious it was built 10 i think was it built 10 it doesn't but matter what was the it, most way, contentious get, but... the most contentious elements of, I know that... of our province this is one of them this might be the most Corey, jump in here, and I've got a question about novel ideas. Carter makes an interesting recall to one of your your classic hits. Classic points. Yeah, yeah so I'm a single-issue voter, and if any party agrees that bill numbers will just continue between sittings, I'm going to oh, vote okay. for them. I, I hate okay. that we have so many different bill tents. Okay. Good job. Uh, Corey, that's talks that's about novel ideas. Novel ideas. The, con- the fact is, we're sitting here November 30th. This is the biggest deal in the province, one of the biggest political stories in the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Not exaggerating today. No. But this concept of a novel idea, we don't know if the next election is going to be fought on the Sovereignty Act. We actually, because it is so novel, how how much would you, if you're Danielle Smith, be looking at this through that lens to say that, yes, it's the conversation now, but I get more from it in by May than I lose from it in November and December heading into a holiday season. Like, I'm trying to think more so about the strategy of timing here and the strategy of the calendar. Any Any thoughts on that or comments on that? Yeah, you know, in some ways it's the it's the same as the finance professor said, risk is rotten. Uh and so when you talk about novel ideas, they they are inherently risky. People have not thought a long and hard amount about things that are new. And so yeah. their opinions on it are not deeply entrenched and their opinions uh can be pulled away very very easily. You know, if I come to an idea and I put 1 minute of thought into it and then Carter says, "Here's eight reasons why your idea is stupid." 
I'm probably going to say, oh, okay, it's probably a dumb idea. Even that's Stephen not Kirk been my experience with you. In it. Yeah, that's not been my experience. <laughs> Usually what you say is, um, why are you such an asshole? And then you just do what you want to do anyways. That sounds actually that like actually knowing you a lot more accurate. accurate. That sounds, it yeah. sounds very accurate. Yes. Yeah. Story. Yeah. But if I had spent my entire life thinking about something and Stephen Carter had eight bad ideas, I would ignore it. Yeah. Right. And, and so there's a volatility that comes from bringing in crazy notions that is, is quite dangerous for a government. I think more dangerous for a government than an opposition because, um, you know, there's, you're just under so much more scrutiny as a government. So that new idea that's not been fully thought out, you're going to have a thousand stakeholders telling you what's wrong with it. When you're in the opposition and you bring in a crazy idea, you put it in your platform, you got your 300 bullet point platform of all of the exciting things you're going to do. People aren't really paying attention. Yeah. And so if you're in the government and you're throwing out novel idea after novel idea, there's a lot of, there'd be risk, right? Mm. You seem to recall risk is rotten. Uh, you're, you're better off with a different strategy, uh, especially just before an election. You're just, it's, uh, you're gambling at that point, but right? You're just taking that chance that nobody cares. Here's what I'm hearing from, from both Corey and I and Zane. I think that we're going back to your doors. And I think that if you were to take this idea that it's just too far outside the norm and package it yes, for the both door, the This anti- door number four that Corey's kind of talking about. Yeah. Well, and, and it really is doors number one and two all together, Right. It's it's outside the norm. It's outside of our democratic principles. It's anti-business. It's going to do the exact opposite of the things that we're hoping it will do. And that's how I think especially the NDP uh, could attack this because um, I think people will, will melt away from it when they give it a moment's thought. Um, and the premier's own actions right now, Smith's actions of already backing away and spending so much time explaining how it's supposed to work is just going to undermine her general message. Well, but, but this is an interesting point then, Carter. So, so to my question, as we kind of delve into this conversation of novel topics, Corey, how do you make a novel topic sticky? If you feel like there's a political advantage for you as some of the opposing parties to keep this alive, how do you make a novel concept sticky, knowing that there's not just risk for the government, that there's perhaps risk for you that this can just float away into the ether as quickly as it came into it? Well, you've got to you've got to continue propagating it, and you've got to control the narrative about it, and, and that's always your job in communications. But the the imperative is that much higher, right? Like if you are the government and you're talking about the benefits of a low tax environment, you're a conservative government talking about the benefits of low tax environment. You can drop that message for a month and come back to it. Right? You can go do other things, and you can come back mm-hmm. to it. And you don't need to risk that people will have fundamentally changed their view on taxes in a month. But if you are not actively maintaining and curating the conversation on a novel concept over the course of a month and other players are on the field and they are, it's going to be an entirely different concept viewed in an entirely different way by the time you get back to it. So it forces you to stay on that matter. So one of the trade-offs you need to consider when you're bringing in novel concepts is, do I actually have the time and energy to invest in this to the level I need to control this conversation? And the amount you need will be different depending on the controversy, depending on the number of opponents, well, all of those things. This is going to, but it's something you've got to keep in mind. This is going to destroy the rest of the legislative agenda, right? Because this becomes the thing that overwhelms everything. You can actually question everything else in these terms, right? Um, until what? Until such time as we determine this law has is in some fashion going to need to be changed, but you know because the the federal government's involvement or something along those lines. Like 
Everything is up in the air because this thing is so weird and so outside the norm. Uh, That's how I would approach it. And I think that if the NDP did that, they'd find themselves in a pretty good spot. Corey. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the other thing. And it's worth talking about is the, is the NDP's approach here. And I will just say this. Um, there was a bit of a slip up and, and Rachel Notley cleaned it up very quickly, but that's not going to stop the clip from going around where she suggested maybe Trudeau would be in the right to disallow this bill. Right. That yeah. that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really not, not to state what is, is probably quite obvious at this point. And certainly I feel like the NDP has already come to this conclusion. It's, it's, it's putting the pressure on the wrong place. That's putting the conversation in the wrong place. And, and what, what the NDP need to emphasize is that the the UCP have supported this, and uh, you know the we we can't. It's a we're not interested in relying on Ottawa to solve Alberta's problems. We need UCP MLAs to stand up. If they will not, we need different MLAs to stand up. And you've got to make it part of a story about why people need to vote for you, um, rather than um, you know rather than risking that it you're setting up the fight all of a sudden to be Daniel Smith versus Justin Trudeau, who is, you know, very unpopular in Alberta. So, uh, you know, keep the pressure on the right place and the pressure should not be on Trudeau. (laughs) It should, it should be on the UCP MLAs if you're the NDP. Carter, I've got one final question for you, which is I'm going back to that question that both of you said no to immediately. Do you remember what this question was? It was, Hey, could this be a strategy that they purposely, yeah, you know, uh, put this thing in so that once they remove it, it normalizes it even further, right? right? Like that sort of, what's the name for that strategy? Do we have a name for it? Because it should be named. We've The, the times that is brought up, um, I want to actually talk about, for, for as we quickly end this episode, on this concept of does that strategy happen more often than we think, Carter? Or is it just a piece of convenient fiction that this political strategy of being three chess moves ahead putting something in, then letting people gravitate towards that, removing it, and then letting the core thing that you wanted slip right by. D- yeah. Does that actually happen, Carter, as a pure practitioner of this art, of this craft, of this world? Does that happen, or is that is that a Hollywood version of what we like to talk about as, as strategists, as a three-dimensional chess move uh, on the board? I want to end this segment with, with that question in mind before we move it on. I think it happens more in the States than it happens in Canada. I think it happens more when you have to negotiate the passage of a bill. Because in Canada, we don't negotiate the passage of a bill. In Canada, the bill is presented, right. it is presented in the legislature. The, the majority of the, of the legislature or the House is going to vote for that bill. They will go through their committees. They will go through their, their various processes and the various readings in order to make sure that the legislation gets better. But when you are negotiating the passage of a bill, and this could happen more in a minority, a more minority legislature, minority parliament, but it certainly happens in the United States, you would throw in a red herring element so that the red herring can be dropped from the bill, right? And so we've seen that with Joe Manchin, a couple of things that he's asked to have put in, a couple of things he's asked to have pulled out. It looks like he's got a win. You, you know, everybody knows what the deal is. Everybody knows that something was put in to give him something to pull out. And that, that I think happens in the States. I just don't see it happening in a place where you don't have to negotiate the passage of the bill. The passage of the bill, you're not negotiating with the general public, 
right? Why would you give, why would you put yourself into the position of weakness? You're not negotiating with them. So come out with the best bill possible and then pass it because you've got the strength to pass it within your, within your caucus. And that's probably the most disappointing element of all of this uh, is that every single UCP MLA stood and voted for this piece of shit. And they're going to have to wear this for the rest of their lives. Tyler Shandro is wearing this for the rest of his life in the same way that he's yelling, yelling at doctors in his driveway. Corey, talk to me about uh, this strategy. Is it real? Is it fictional? Does it exist? Give me your take on it as we round out on on a question that is more broad than particular, but intriguing to me as it relates to the craft of political strategy. Yeah, well, it's it's just it's bargaining, right? It, it's a very standard approach in bargaining, and a lot of political craft, particularly in the states, and the reason why you see it a lot more in the United States is is historically there's been a bargaining component to it. It's okay, I need to get these votes, so I'm going to. I'm going to have something in this bill that I can then negotiate down from. And if you think about it in terms of positional bargaining, which is where you see it as much more zero sum, then you've got to, you create the space by having things you can give up, right? And so you have more things on the table, you can give it up. Now, there are broader views of bargaining. I'm not trying to simplify bargaining as a general concept, but it sort of makes sense, right? You have your opening position. They have their opening position. You know your walkaway position, what you're not going to accept below, and you can't have your opening position be your walkaway position. So mm. you put in additional things and you're willing to strip them out. In an environment where there's more bargaining, that is far, far, far more common. In a parliamentary system like we have, when you have a majority government, those kinds of tactics seem like they're more trouble than they're worth. And it's one of the reasons why I can pretty quickly discount it. Because who's Daniel Smith bargaining with? Like, yeah, in, in a way, you could say the public, right? But not really. Like she, she can set whatever terms she wants on this. And so why would she do it in a way where she has to then retract? That's what we would call to continue the bargaining metaphor, bargaining against yourself. You put the first offer up and you're putting the second offer up because there's not really anybody but you who can change the outcome here. Mm, mm-hmm. We're going to leave that segment there, move it on to our final segment, our over under our lightning round and Stephen Carter, our words of wisdom. Sometimes in the over, under, in the lightning round, we like to shove in some nice little words of wisdom, a sentence or maybe two that you leave these political leaders with. And let's start with one that we haven't talked a lot about, Stephen Carter, Justin Trudeau. What advice would you give to Justin Trudeau every time he hears the word Sovereignty Act? He's already made a quote today about it, saying he's not looking for a fight. What advice would you give to Trudeau as, as he finds himself involved with what Danielle Smith is trying to do here at home in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not not a visual medium. Oh yeah, Remember, it's a podcast. Keep your yeah. mouth shut. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Practically, he's asked follow ups. He's asked over and over again. Another member of the press gallery asks him, "What he, does he actually say?" I get the concept. I appreciate the concept. What would you tell him to say? This is all hypothetical right now. There's been a lot of reactions out of Alberta. It's their issue, and it's up to them to decide what's going to happen. Corey, would you add to that? Would you delete to that? What are you telling the prime ministers to say? Script those words for him. I I would maybe even go a little further and say, listen, Alberta is a very important part of this country, um, but this is a matter in front of the Alberta legislature, and I'll let the Alberta legislature weigh in on it there. Um do I have opinions? Sure, but they're far less important than the opinions of Albertans. So why don't you go talk to some of them? Same same question, Corey. I'm going to start with you, Danielle Smith. Next time she has 
a, a mic in front of her, if she isn't apologizing, let's assume that isn't it, and she isn't course correcting or clarifying, and she's got a free sort of comment on the Sovereignty Act, uh, you know, Madam Premier, how do you think it's going? You know, and we're looking forward to, to the next step. What is she saying? Well, I think it's going great. I've been talking to Albertans who are finally relieved we're finally standing up to Ottawa here. And geez, if the NDP doesn't want to stand up to Ottawa, if they'd rather stay with Justin Trudeau and, and Jagmeet Singh in the in the Notley Trudeau-Singh alliance, that's their decision. But I was elected to stand up for uh, Albertans. Our caucus is behind this. We know we need some more tools in our toolkit here. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely open to finding different ways we can do this, but it's non-negotiable to me that we're going to stand up to the Notley Trudeau Sing Alliance. And if there are other ideas about how to stand up to the Notley Trudeau Sing Alliance, I'd love to hear them. I'm not wed to the tactic. I'm wed to the outcomes. And that outcome is putting the Notley Trudeau Sing Alliance in its place. You know what, Carter? You know why he's uh, first on the bench for the uh, wizardry of the Sovereignty Act? He really just showed good. you why. Yeah. It's built. It's, it's, it's in his DNA. Do, all it's in his do, DNA. All I'm, yeah. gonna, all I'm going to do is add yeah, what in, are you going to say? You need to just throw in the only way we can recover our, our Alberta advantage is to take control from Ottawa. And if he just throws in that little fragment of a sentence, his, his was perfect. Carter? Yeah. Rachel Notley. Next interview she does about the Sovereignty Act. How do you think it's going in Alberta? What what are your feelings on it? I think that, that you know, it's fascinating that already we've got business speaking out against it. We've got uh, columnists speaking out against it. We've got Albertans speaking out against it. This is a fringe idea from a fringe politician that is designed to put Alberta into a small box that w- we cannot work without the rest of the country. Imagine. Imagine if British Columbia had passed this act when I was trying to get pipelines into the into to to Tidewater. I remind people, I was the only one who was able to get a pipeline to Tidewater. We got it done because we worked with British Columbia, not against British Columbia. If you want to actually succeed in this in this market, if if you really want Alberta to succeed, you can't you can't just simply fight with everybody with fringe ideas. This is a fringe idea that is fighting with everybody and is gaining traction with none. Corey, extend on that. Add, delete, make your comments if you you are Rachel Notley and you're talking about this Sovereignty Act now that it is revealed to the public and what she would say next. Well, this is considering an entirely different constitutional order. It's considering an entirely different um, relationship with business, with government, and, um, you know, with with partners and institutions across the country, enough is enough. It's time for Albertans to have their say. The fringe, uh, you know, the fringe ideas language, by all means, takes Stephen's language there, but just say Albertans need to have their say. It's time for Albertans to have their say, and and just hammer on it, and don't get distracted by it. And you know, one of the things is you've got to find a calibration where you're not you're not suggesting like you don't care, but you also don't want to seem like you're over. Like, like for me, there's a funny calibration that needs to happen where it's like, this is infuriating what is going on because Albertans have never been able to weigh in on these things, but this too shall pass. May will come. Albertans will have their say. And, and, you know, you can project a confidence and like, it's very important. Albertans have their say there. I'm not saying I'm going to win the election, but, uh, but I think in some ways you don't want to play into this game where where you're just swinging at whatever she puts out this week. This one's big. This one's different. But you got to watch out. 
Corey, the last one's interesting. I don't want you to script any lines for anyone, but I want you to have a, a your, your lines for what you'd say in a confidential conversation with the half a dozen UCP MLAs, most of them were leadership candidates against Danielle Smith, who talked about how this would be dangerous, constitutional crisis, would be threatening our energy sector. These are all quotes that they have said about the Sovereignty Act and today are on the rolls as as, as being those that, that supported uh, it, it moving forward. What would you want them to know? Carter said something interesting, which is like, you'd have to wear this for the rest of your life. I, I don't know if that's hyperbolic or not. Where would your head be at if you were for their best interest? What would you tell them? Like, if, if would you tell them something to the extent that these don't have to be options that, you know, this is novel. You can, you can, this is how you get out of it. Or would you say something to the extent of that, of what Carter said, which is you made a big mistake here. You need to backtrack. Like, how would you be messaging them today or talking to them if you, if you had that direct line of communication? You know, and if I'm looking out for their best yes, yes, interests, yes, yes. it's tough because it sort of blends with what I, I, you know, I would expect of anybody in that situation which is that they you've been acting like politicians and that's fine. If that's all you ever want to be, if you want to carry somebody else's water, if you want to follow around somebody else's cause, but if you want to be States people, if you want to do good for this province, it's time to take some personal risk on here and, and not just fret about whether you're going to be elected after the next election. And uh, frankly, the, the, you know, the arc of history does bend towards justice and people, People look fondly on people who stand up to bad ideas. People do not look fondly on people who let them slide. Carter, the question here turns out to be, if I and then tell me this is overly simplistic. Will this be historically seen as a bad idea or a novel concept that had a short shelf life, right? That's the gamble that some of these folks need to take. It's a version of that. It's not those exact words. It's not that exact sentiment. I get it. But is it is this will will this go down historically as a terrible thing? And in the moment, we all feel like it is in that column, right? Because no, we're living no, in no, no. it. Or well, or will this be a novel concept? Because people are living in it, so they're like, of course, this will be that that long term terrible thing. So the question I, I, I'm I'm trying to balance here is when you're giving this advice to folks, wh- wh- how how would you kind of phrase it, and and where would you come at it with in terms of even the analysis of the moment? I mean, I think that politics is about principles. Right. So when I'm talking to people, I've been talking about what is your principle? What is it? That, you know, what's the principle that you're trying to fight for with this Sovereignty Act? What is it? Why is it you ran? Right. Corey, you know, I said earlier, that you're going to carry this for the rest of your life. I mean, every piece of legislation, mm-hmm, that you, mm-hmm. you know, carry is for the rest of your life, even the novel concepts, even the even the things that you back down on for all kinds of good reasons. Um those things you carry with you for the rest of your life. And there'll be all kinds of things that people remember. A number of people were remembered for be, you know, the, serving on the no meat committee. Um, they lost. A lot of people lost their seats because of that one single issue that didn't haunt anybody for three years, that just suddenly appeared at the very end. Is this... I wish that more people would think back to what their principles are and say... What do I want to be remembered as? And, and do I want to be doing what everybody else says is a great thing, what my caucus members say, or do I want to do what I consider to be right? My problem right now, not a single member of the governing party is doing what they think is right. They're doing what they think their leader wants them to do. Corey, finish us off on this one. You know, there are 
ways to do the right thing without leaving the caucus, without leaving the United Conservative Party. You know, you can stand up, you can have your voice. We, How in the world have we not talked about Jason Kenney? We're at like Running one hour away. and seven minutes yeah. here. But Oh, it's the final question. Okay. Do not worry. <laughs> well, I will say, you know, people will have different views of that. Um, but you can you can retire. You can be a voice in caucus. You can say, I don't want to be a minister. I'm happy to be a UCP MLA. But, you know, that does require you to get a little bit less prestige and a little bit less money. If you're not willing to put it all on the line, are you willing to at least put your comfort on the line? You know, like, like be, be you know, stand up for something. Stand up for your leader. It doesn't mean you need to oppose your leader, but you, but it means you've got to have some honest conversations about what's going on and what that might have, mean to the province. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for this final one. Jason Kenney. He's gone. He's made a statement. He takes a swipe at the left. He takes a swipe at the right. Uh, as he leaves, he leaves literally as the new legislation is is announced, makes an announcement right thereafter, I'm vacating, effective immediately. Mm. Give me a score on the political strategy between 1 to 10 for Jason Kenney in terms of how he leaves and what he says when he leaves and what he frankly doesn't say when he leaves. Is this a political masterstroke in the way he did it and the message he sent? Or is this uh, high-drama, Hollywood-style, Netflix, you know, uh, House of Cards stuff that didn't really deliver the impact. Where was it for you on, on a political strategy of the exit? And we'll talk about Jason Kenny more uh, in future episodes, but, but leave me with that thought. If what he wants to do is maintain a range of motion and allow himself to have any variance of comeback, right? Whether it be being the High Commissioner to the United Kingdom under Prime Minister Pierre Polyev, as will 100% happen, or if it means running federally again someday, mm -hmm. or you name it, this was good. He did a he did a good thing here. He has managed, I think, to in one move. Like there's going to be a lot of people who say, "Don't let the door hit you on the way out." Let's not let's not pretend it will be universally accepted. But there will be a lot of people who say, "Yeah, okay, well, he was the only one who stood up." But also the people who are on, you know, in the inside of the party. They don't have to put up with him actually voting against it. You know, it, like he he walked the middle ground here and it will not be entirely satisfying to most people. But I think it was smart because it provided the most range of motion going forward, whether that even be things like board appointments and the like. And even the note, like a lot of people have been saying, like, you know, you started this fire and it got out of control and it's a bit much for you to be blaming the left as much as the right and all of all of that commentary fully expected, fully understood. But again. It, it created space for him to do whatever he wants to do next. He hasn't burned himself with the conservative party, uh, but he has not. Uh, but, you know, on his way out, he's managed to get a few people who were kind of done with him to be less done with him. Carter, the political score for Jason Kenny on a one to 10 in terms of his exit, what are you giving him? Well, I'm completely done with him. Um, you know, and the, and the reason I'm completely done with him is he said he was going to vote against the sovereignty act. And instead, he ran out the door with his tail between his legs, like some sort of, you know, little whip little puppy that done, you know, didn't want to stand up to the big bad bully. And now he's, you know, wetting himself running down the fucking street. This is who Jason talk Kenny. To me about this. Talk to me about that hypothetical. Let's spend a few minutes on this. Let's say he had stayed in the legislature, voted no 
and then had done exactly what he did thereafter. He was to going Corey's to be gone. Point, He's going to be gone, you know, whether it's January or whether it's December or whether it's November. He's out the fucking door. Why Corey, not why, why stand was, with a degree of principle? Why not stand with a degree of this is wrong? He said it's wrong. And he could be an example to these weak-willed uh, MLAs with no backbone, no balls, no capacity to stand outside of their own little squad, their own little team on their own. He could have done that and been an actual leader. And instead, he has decided to fucking run out the door with his tail between his legs like a fucking... And, we, and you know what? I don't want to talk about Jason Kenny again. I don't want to see Jason Kenny again. I don't even want to hear about the, the cyclist whose name is Jason Kenny. I want him to retire too, because I don't want to even think about this guy because he's so fucking weak. So great example about how his action was a Rorschach test, because there is a version where you look at it and you say, this is more than what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to vote against it, but he's so fucking mad. He quit, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and put a bit of a poison pen down on the whole system. So look, I mean, you're going to see what you're going to see in this, but that is in some ways the genius of the move. Like he's, he's created a bit of range for himself. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1018 of the strategist. My name is Zane Velji with me as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we will see you next time.